Welcome to the 865 Elite Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Saha. Today's guest is Casey Alexander from Belmont University. Coach, how are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, when you guys are going out recruiting, um, what what are you guys really looking for? Are you looking for like the best player or someone to fit your system? A combination of both, of course. You know, I mean, it's um, you got to have good players, and um, <clears throat> that goes without saying. Doesn't matter what league you're in, uh, you you got to. Doesn't matter how good of a coach you are if you don't have players, it's going to be hard to win games. Um, but I think. You know, for us at Belmont, our model has always been that we also recruit to a system, you know, and um, and we need guys that play the way that we like to play. You know, we need guys that are unselfish, guys that are skilled, guys that can make threes, um, guys that understand the offensive game. So uh, we look for those qualities as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so you, you've had – you've taken over different programs where they haven't played – that style. So when you got to Stetson, kind of what was your strategy into getting the kids that would play the way that you wanted to play? Yeah, you know what? It was interesting because that was that was my first head coaching experience. And I inherited a team that was very different in a sense that it was built for defense. It was built for low tempo. It was built for toughness. Uh, all of those things, which I really admire. And, and I think it helped us um, because we had kids that wanted to win and were really hungry. But, you know, but we did look very different on the offensive end of the floor. Everything was completely new to them. They were, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it took quite a bit of adjustment for them. Uh, and it forced me to just keep things really, really simple. You know, if you, if I walked into that job thinking that, hey, we're going to go do things like we did at Belmont, you know, what we ended up doing in reality was probably 25% of that. You know, we were yeah. just – very vanilla trying to survive and and we got better our second year there we had a really good year by their standards and um and I felt like we you know we looked like a pretty good offensive team but um we I left after that so who knows what would happen <laughs> yeah so what what changed because like when you took the Lipscomb job now that was your second head job so what was that transition like because a lot of the guys that you inherited there you know really weren't that style either yeah, right. It was very similar uh, in a sense that um, that we needed quite a, quite a bit of transition, and uh, you know, and and it took a little longer. It took longer. You know, there's so much about coaching changes that really aren't style driven. They're more culture driven, and yeah. and how you align with the guys that you inherit, and you know, and, and are they willing to buy in and and uh, believe in what you're selling and that sort of thing. And that's you know, that's <clears throat> the same coach can take over two or three different programs and it works differently each place. Um, and really without a lot of rhyme or reason, there are a lot of things that I would go back and do very different uh, at Lipscomb that would have given us a chance to be better quicker, Yeah, uh, you know, but it just comes with experience and learning. <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we, it took a long time, you know, by the time we finished there, we were a pretty elite offensive team, um, but it took us a long time to get there. Yeah. So what was it like now coming over to take over for your coach and some guy that you've worked for, like with that system? Was it pretty smooth sailing or did you have some wrinkles, too? Uh, I mean, we're, we're different uh, in, in personality wise and just how we operate from day to day as far as practice structure and 
communication with the guys, relationships with the guys, things like that. But the X's and O's part was entirely seamless, you know, coming to Belmont. And I mean, I played at Belmont and I was an assistant for 16 years. So I had 20 years under my belt uh, and I had played Belmont every year I was a head coach. And so yeah. I was obviously very familiar with the program. I had recruited probably half the guys on the team. So I knew personnel wise. Um, so it was, it was much, much easier for me from a coaching perspective to walk in on the first day and know how it had been done in the past, how that correlated with what I like to do. And then, you know, that made that transition really, really easy. You know, the difference was, you know, I took over a team that, that you know, most of the time when you inherit, when you take over teams or you get take new jobs, you know, it's, it's a situation that's not healthy either from a winning perspective or a culture perspective. And, and the Belmont situation was very different than that. They were very used to winning and could have uh, been yeah. here for a time. So that made the, that made the transition really easy for me. Yeah. So we talked about culture a little bit. So when you took over at Stetson and Lipscomb, what was that transition period like on forming your culture and like getting the buy-in and the relationships from those players? Yeah, there's such a delicate balance, you know, I mean, you, you have to go in and, and set the standard, so to speak, you know, do it the way that you want to do it. Um, but at the same time, you have to have some flexibility. You have to meet the guys in the middle, meet them where they are, um, you know, and th those are the things that I would do entirely different. I, I didn't relationally, I didn't, I felt like they ought to just jump on my back and let me lead the way, uh, you know, because I knew what I was doing. And yeah. Either I did or not, um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't establish trust quick enough. I didn't, um, you know, we didn't build that rapport and kind of a belief in each other. And, and so I would go back and do things quite a bit different at both of those places. You know, it wasn't all bad by any stretch. I think we yeah. made both programs <clears throat> way better, uh, you know, um, by the time we left there. But, um, but, but I, I do have some regrets about both places, especially, especially when I took over at Lipscomb. Yeah. <clears throat> would you, like forming the relationships, are you more like getting on the court with the guys and sweating with them or like, how would you go about forming the relationships? Yeah. I mean, no, is the answer to that quick question. Uh, I mean, I want to be out there, you know, I mean, I think it's very important that, that we touch our players every day and that we pat them on the back and that we ask them personal questions and that we just spend time and get to know them and, and that they know that we care about them being more than, player on the floor uh you know and that just comes over time uh and then beyond that as far as the floor is concerned I mean I think you just do everything you can to give them a chance to be good you know whether that's video or work before practice or work after practice or um you know hey come see me in the office let's talk about how you're doing you know let's talk about how I can help you know just simple subtle things that you can do on a consistent basis that really help you build that relationship yeah <laughs> I think respect I mean kids kids want to be pushed and, the, and, and they, and they need you from the basketball perspective. But I think a lot of times we, we, we confuse activity and achievement. It's like, because we're out there grinding it out and sweating it, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily correlate to getting where you want to go. You know, you yeah. got to have a method behind the madness sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> Has recruiting changed now, like in how you do it with the portal? Well, it is changing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's already changed, of course. But, yeah. uh, you know, and that's a that's a conversation that I'm sure every staff in the country 
continues to have. Uh, you know, you're not, we'd be crazy if we just sat here in our office and thought that we're going to do things the way we always have at Belmont. You know, we've yeah. been a program that that is generally signed nothing but high school seniors and developed those players over time. And a lot of those guys, probably 40% of them have redshirted, you know, and so that's been the real secret, not secret, but that's been the key to our success here is just the continuity within the program from year to year, the retention from year to year, the development from year to year, being able to be old, uh, being able to have that, that culture of knowing who we are and what makes us good has been really important to us. But the portal changes that pretty significantly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's more, I mean, the kids have always been able to transfer, of course. Um, but the fact that they can go and play right away right now makes it much more difficult. It's, yeah. not, it's not that we have this magic portal uh, software. It's that they can go play somewhere right away. And in the yeah. past, you know, when we had kids that maybe didn't like their role, they still loved Belmont or the, our team, and they weren't willing to go sit out somewhere to play, you know, so they stayed. But now it makes it so much easier. So to answer your question, you know, our our front end philosophy will largely stay the same. We're we're going to continue to high, recruit high school players and good ones, and try to give them a, an experience where they stay. Uh, but when we lose players to the portal, you know we're going to have to replace them from the portal. Yeah, uh, just we just can't sign you know six eight high school freshmen every year. So. Yeah. What about like you talked about the development piece of it? How important is that to get kids in your program that like know how to play? Because it seems like the game has gone to really ball dominant with all these skilled trainers now where kids don't know how to play without the ball. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, it, that goes back to kind of the first question that you asked. I mean, we we try really hard to get system guys when we recruit and, yeah. you know, and Again, they have to be good players, uh, and I think that's where Belmont's evolved over the course of the last 20 years. We've gotten bigger, stronger, better players that still have the same skill set and team-first attitude that we've always had, you know. And so uh, we choose, we take care of a lot of development on the front end by choosing the right guys. We don't get it right every time, but, um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. You know, there there may be a really dynamic point guard jet quick can't stay in front of him um you know fun guy to watch play but if he but if he's a scoring first not a three-point shooting kind of guy he doesn't fit us as well as the guy who's a great leader uh who's got great balance uh who's a good three-point shooter who has a great assist turnover ratio like i hate playing against those first the guys that you know that i mentioned yeah. that don't fit us i mean they're, they're really good players and they're great in a lot of programs but they don't fit us quite as much you know there may be a there may be a post player that's a great shot blocker and a great defender and he's a real physical presence but if he doesn't have skills to score it or if he can't handle it out on the floor or make open threes maybe if he doesn't have some specific offensive skill set he's hard for us to sign yeah (laughs) what how much do you put in like to winning like if the kid is winning in high school and aau like how important is that to you well, it's not a it's not a criteria that we have to check that box off. Yeah. Uh, you know, but at the but they usually go hand in hand. I mean, a kid that the kind of players we like that that come from good programs, that come from good homes, that that are good students, that 
have skill offensive skills that we look for um it those things are generally pretty conducive to winning and it takes care of itself you know yeah. uh the guys that are real volume maybe they're great offensive players but they're volume shooters and they don't know how to play with others and they um they're good but their team's not good you know for some reason you know it it at some point in that recruiting process, it usually breaks down and we kind of determine that kid may not be a Belmont guy. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like, what are the things you do to try to find that out? Like, do you, do you guys kind of have a system in terms of reaching out to, you know, pe people at the school, AAU coach, high school coach, like what are kind of the depth you go to figure out a kid? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we're, we're not, we're going to be really diligent uh, in our pursuit. Uh, but that really, to us, that really works itself out. You know, there, there are some guys who, you know, it, it's very clear early on that their AAU coaches uh, are invested in their recruiting um, process and they're going to have a lot to say about, you know, where the kid goes and, and how he forms his visits and how he forms his list and, and the parents are going to rely on that coach. And so in that case, yeah, that's where we're going to go. There's yeah. some there's some guys that we've signed and I don't even call their high school coach until they're, until after they've committed, you know, hardly, yeah. you know, it, it all depends. I mean, it's, we, we've had it all. We've had, we've had the high school coach really involved, the AU coach really involved, the parents really involved, all of them really involved. Uh, yeah. You know, it just kind of depends on what that, where that player lands. Yeah. When you guys are doing it, do you have like certain relationships where, like if someone calls you, you'll look at them right away because you know they've been taught the right way. For sure. Um, you know, and there are, you know, we don't go into it this way, but, you know, there's there's a half a dozen, maybe 10, uh, 10 AAU programs out there that we know we're going to recruit their those teams. You yeah. Know? Even, even if we don't, let's say we it's a, it's a, it's a, a 16-year-old team or whatever, and it's a April, and so we're just really forming that list. Well, we're going to go watch that team because we know we're going to like how they play. We know the kids in that program are going to um, are going to be potential recruits for <clears throat> us, you know. And so, um, so that's always a good place to start. And the same would be true with high schools, you know. We we, we in each state we know there are some schools uh, where if that coach calls us or if they've got a player, it's going to be somebody that we're definitely interested in. You know, you yeah. you got to be careful with that because, um, you know, it, everybody is not going to fit nicely into your little box that you, you know, that yeah. you, you know, that you try to put all of your recruits in and some of the, some of the best players we've ever had, you know, you know, may have been fringe guys, maybe what the kind of school they came from or where they came from or, you know, who they played for or whatever. Um, so it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all, but, but in general, you know, we're going to get a lot of our guys are going to kind of fit the same criteria. Yeah. <clears throat> when you're out in those live periods, like how does someone that's not on the radar get on your radar? Like what, what do like the kids have to do to stand out? If you're just watching, if you go to watch one program and they're playing against that kid, like what are certain things? Yeah. I, I think the vast majority of coaches out there, whether they want to admit it or not. I mean, we're all, we're all recruiting offense first. I mean, that, yeah. that's how you get noticed. I mean, you know, a guy may make a great hustle play or he might do it over the course of a game and you really learn to admire that kid's, toughness and effort and attitude and everything else. But, but generally when you notice people, it's because they make offensive plays, they make yeah. two threes quickly, or they, you know, they put a half together where they had 20 and a half or, you know, they got a lot of flair about them or whatever that that's how kids get noticed the most. Um, and that, and that's how kids get 
quick offers. That's how they get attention, you know, but it's, but it's over time. Uh, you know, we go see that kid play and we notice him for the first time and we really like him. So we keep going back. Well, over those next six, eight, 10, 12 games that we watch in the July period or April period or whatever, that's when we're really going to watch, you know, what kind of defender is he? What kind of teammate is he? You know, is he consistent? Is he really as good a shooter as he was that first time we saw him? Or was that just a great day? You know, you just, you kind of got to, we work really hard to get a lot of evaluation in uh, on kids and a lot of <laughs> conversation, um, you know, and relationship building uh, after that. Yeah. <laughs> So, you you know, you're obviously recruiting the kids and you're also a parent, too. How does that go hand in hand for you with like all the youth sports right now? Like, do you do you guys really have your hands on of who you let in your kids like inner circle for athletics? My own kids? Yes. Uh, I mean, mine are older now, so it's not quite, yeah. not quite as relevant. But, you know, I mean, we we legitimately believe that the people are the most important part of the process. Yeah. Uh, and whether that's your high school team, your AU team, or picking a college, um, you, all of your satisfaction, all of your contentment, all of your personal growth uh, is going to come because of the people that you've surrounded yourself with. I mean, we, you know, recruiting is awesome, uh, but, and it's a long process and, you know, kids end up committing and they end up, you know, a kid that comes to Belmont and he shows up here, you know, June 1st for summer session, you know, when, when his parents finish loading up the dorm and they drive away, well, that's all over, you know, and yeah. all that matters now is like, <clears throat> what kind of experience does he have while he's at Belmont Who with the people that he lives with and how we coach him and, and the culture of our team, you know, so as fun as everything was until then, you know, how he enjoys his day-to-day -day life um, and, and and experience at Belmont is all that's going to matter in the end. And so that's, that's you know, that's the real danger of recruiting sometimes. You, 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 you know, you get wowed by what you see, the, the arena or the gear or the, you know, or the coaches are really dynamic personality or it's a lot of fun on your visit or, you know, they wine and dine you and everything else. All that's fine and that helps you form an opinion. But what happens after you get there is what really matters. And, um, you know, so so for a player to player, a uh, uh, prospect needs to be able to evaluate, you know, a program from that perspective. You know, what does the last five years look like? Is it a revolving door with transfers? If it is, something's not lining up with what they're telling me. Yeah. You know, um, you know, what what about academic accomplishments? What about, you know, winning? What about travel what about the staff is it you know is, is that a revolving door you know is this the third head coach in five years is this you know a lot of things to consider when you're making these decisions yeah and truthfully, i'll say this too i mean the aau process selecting an aau team is is a great uh precursor for selecting a college like there's a ton of teams out there yeah and there's a lot of good teams out there and there's a lot of good players out there but but they're not all places that you would want to play. You know, they're not all coaches you would want to play for. They're not all teammates you would want to play with. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not structured <laughs> in the best way to fit you. And that's picking a college is a lot the same way. Do you guys like look at that? So if a kid has jumped around from program to program, is that kind of a red flag for you guys with the day and age with the portal now? Massive red flag. Yeah. Massive red flag. And, and what it, what, you know, there's almost always somebody in the background that's leading 
those decisions. You know, it's rarely, it's a, it's a misguided parent um, or it's a handler that's way too involved. And he's, you know, and he's, he's trying his best to give that kid a great experience, but in the end, you know, it's, you know, it's because he's trying to get him to a certain level or, you know, to a certain team or something like those, those things are big red flags for us. We're not interested in those kinds of things. Yeah. When the kids get to campus, are kids you think more prepared now physically for like the amount of training that goes into it? I do. Uh, you know, and you know, these, as you know, I mean, it's, it just starts at such an early age and, you know, you got, you got eight year olds playing 10 weekends a summer, you know, playing games and they're practicing twice a week and they got trainers, you know, on Sunday nights and, you know, and and all of it's good. You know I mean? I would never want to, you know, keep a kid from working hard and understanding the value of discipline and, and time and, you know, commitment and everything else. But, um, you know, so because of all that, they're used to the, they're, they're a lot more used to the workload that it takes in college than they were 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. No doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys get into practice, how does your practice vary? Cause I know like when I was in college, you know, like once we got into conference, it was an hour and a half tops. And then it was a ton of skill stuff, a lot of shots. Like, how do you guys formulate that plan? We, it does vary. Um, not because I want anybody to be lazy, but my practice philosophy is shorter is better. Yeah. We, we want the minimal amount of time required year round. Uh, because I just think that's healthier. I think that keeps the guys um, excited about what they're doing. Yeah, We haven't had, and, you know, I guess we get six weeks of practice before we play our first game. We didn't have one practice that was more than two hours, not one. Uh, you know, now we're, we're not even in conference play yet. And for us to practice an hour and a half is pretty, pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, but I, I say all that and, <clears throat> We also have very little lag time in our practices. I mean, we're on task for the most part, you know, from start to finish at a at a at a pretty decent intensity level as far as getting from drill to drill. We're not we're not flying all over the place trying to create, you know, false energy necessarily. Yeah. We want to get in and get our business taken care of and then get out of there uh and and keep our guys as fresh as we can physically and mentally. Do the guys uh come in and get a lot of shots on their own during the season or yeah, but that's, you know, that's that's just like life for all of them in all ways. Some guys, yeah. you know, I've got one in the gym right now. You hear the ball bouncing. I know exactly who it is. He's in there every day. Uh, we got some guys that show up before practice, and they get some shots up 15, 20 minutes before practice every day. We've got two or three that stay after every day. We got some that hardly ever come in, uh, you know, and it's different for all of them. You know, I think it's, I think it's important you – Again, you kind of meet them where they are. Uh, yeah. You don't want the guys to slack. Uh, they need to understand that they need that it takes more than <clears> as <throat> a team and practice every day. Um, but but really, it's like free throw shooting. You know, to me, the the most important thing about being a good free throw shooter is that you have confidence that when you go to the line, you're going to make it. And for some guys, that's I'm going to make five in a row after practice every day. And for some guys, that's I'm going to shoot a hundred after practice every day. It's just different for everybody. You know? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Well, I appreciate the time. I know you're busy in season, so thanks for taking the time to be on it. You bet. Great to see you and um, good luck with it. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the 865 Elite Podcast. We will see you next week.